Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Mitch Light, the managing editor at The Athletic on the college football side of things. He joins us, though, to recap the Vandy boys' baseball season. The 2021 season has come to a close after the Commodores wrapped up their season last week on Wednesday night against the Mississippi State Bulldogs after losing games two and three to go down in the championship series to the Bulldogs. We dive into the Vanderbilt baseball season with Mitch Light, the Vanderbilt graduate, coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 93 on July 6th, a beautiful Tuesday evening here in the Nashville area. We are, as always, presented by the fine folks at Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Will, we are finally back. I think our last episode together was we were, uh, I think, previewing that first NC State game, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it's been a while. Uh, since we've uh, been back at it, but here we are. We got a little bit of football to touch on, but mainly we're going to be recapping a disappointing end of the baseball season. Not obviously what we wanted, Will, uh, but we got all the way there. And uh, you know, there could th- this this could get heated uh, with uh, with some of our comments today. Yeah, we've it has been a while. I think the last time we were on together, we were previewing Omaha, so we've had the entirety of Omaha separating. Yeah. And then I did the one. <laughs> Um, that Jim Wyatt was supposed to be on with us and it just didn't work out. And then you uh, got to preview after that. So um, it's nice to be back on here. We do have a ton to talk about. There's been just a little bit happen um, since the last time we talked. I don't know if any uh, Commodore fans out there have heard any of it, but it's been quite a bit. Um, So (laughs) I'm looking forward to discussing it and uh, getting, getting our opinions out there and starting a little bit of discussion. Yeah, just a little bit of football has been going on. Uh, With all the baseball ending, we got football ramping up. Uh, Maybe a little strategy there from Coach Lee. Uh, But before we get to a lot of uh, that breaking news, of course, we are, as always, presented by Alaco Finewood Fours. Follow us on Twitter, door underscore report. And, uh, of course, on Instagram, door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And everything else in between will We've got Mitch Light also coming up. It's now time, though, for breaking news. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in Westmead. The Recycling Dudes recognize the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website 
at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, Will, before we dive into the end of the baseball season, a lot to talk about there. We've got a ton of football to talk about. How about the July 4th Vandy football put on for us? They put on quite the fireworks show with three players in one day, and they added another commit uh, yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. So we've got a good bit to talk about in terms of those players, and obviously they won't be on campus until next season, but the momentum is there, Will, and and – you know, not saying these guys are four stars or even five stars, of course, but, you know, these are these are guys with with three star um, strong offer sheets and, and they're guys that that project to be potentially four stars in the future. And then even even some of these guys who might remain three stars are guys that Clark Lee can develop and build into the prototype that he likes. So as we dive in, Will, I'm going to start with uh, a guy locally, uh, somewhat locally, about an hour and a half. Uh, down the road, pretty close from where, uh, from you know Knoxville, where obviously we have been uh, before. Kenzie Paul, out of the Macaulay School, he was, um, you know, he hit a great junior year, but he's ready, obviously, for one more year there at Macaulay. Six one one ninety three, uh, DB slash athlete slash receiver. Obviously, he plays a lot of those positions. Uh, he had some impressive offers: Duke, Cincinnati, Georgia Tech, Indiana, Michigan State, Mississippi State. You can kind of go through the list, um, but he's one of those guys, Will, that. You look at and, and you know, you, you start reminding yourself of guys like maybe Trey Herndon and, um, you know, Trey Ellis, the guys that, that, you know, weren't necessarily game breakers, but they were solid players. Um, so, you know, when you look at a guy like that, Will, what, what comes to mind? Because, you know, it's not, not a guy that pops out the screen at you, but he's a local guy that could start to get a little bit of momentum going uh, in the state. Yeah, none of these guys that we're going to be talking about, and I mean, and I don't mean this in any way that they're not going to become great players, but yeah. none of these guys we're going to be talking about are game-breaking, recruiting class-changing guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenzie Paul is probably the closest to that, just with his offer sheet and the teams that were, yeah. you know, that that it, he was sought. By. I mean, you have you named off a lot of them: Tennessee, Georgia Tech, Mississippi State, Missouri, Ole Miss. A lot of SEC names, a lot of blue blood names. Yeah, uh, and. And this class obviously is focusing on the weaknesses, the weaknesses of this team. So mm-hmm. he's listed as an athlete on 24-7. Um, I believe he's the 872nd nationally ranked um, player. But he's probably going to play DB, and that'll kind of go along with the trend of the rest of these guys that committed outside of one. I believe they're all pretty much projected on the defensive side of the ball and yeah. specifically in that secondary. So obviously that's a need Clark Lee is addressing and Barton Simmons they're they're addressing together. And um, w- once we get through all these guys individually, I've kind of got something that overarching, you're kind of seeing a trend yes. um, kind of develop with this class of 2022. Yeah. I was just about to touch on a little bit of that because, you know, we'll ro- roll through the rest of these three guys, but you look at, you know, just looking at the prototype of these players, I like looking, just looking at their build and looking at uh, a little bit of their film, but just a picture of them and then see, you know, what do they look like? What, what do they, what might they project um, into, you know, in the future? And a lot of these guys, a little bit, a couple of years of development in the weight room, they can, they can be, you know, I'm not saying monsters, but they can build into, you know, legit SEC players. So that's what I look at, Will, and I'm sure that's, uh, what Barton Simmons looks at a lot of, you know, the build, the, the, the prototype of what they want. Um, as we roll in, though, they, we'll get a little bit of a little bit more beef here. Uh, a guy out of <laughs> Tallahassee, Bryce Cowan. Um, he is currently unrated and his offer sheet isn't very impressive. Schools like Akron, Buffalo, FIU, Florida Atlantic. Um, but he primarily plays safety for his high school team. But he's one of those guys that projects as an anchor and, and maybe that linebacker position. Uh, at Vanderbilt, six, three and a half, 200 pounds, a longer type linebacker. And it seems like 
you know, we've tried to compare a lot of guys to Zach Cunningham, that type of mold. <laughs> that seems like, uh, you know, where, where they want to go, that long rangey type of linebacker, um, you know, for a guy that they, they feel like they might be able to develop. Rolling along here still, Will, the final commitment of the day was, uh, I mean, this guy is an absolute lightning bolt. You look at his size, initially 5'7", 170 pounds. His name is Katie Hutchinson. With that name, you got to be athletic, right? I mean, you got Katie as your first name from <laughs> Hamilton, Georgia. He's Clark Lee's first wide receiver, you know, official wide receiver. He, he wasn't listed as any other defensive player, um, but he's currently unrated and similar in stature. He's got that blazing speed. Uh, which Coach Lee could potentially utilize in a lot of ways. Um, you know, reading off of um, of, a, of our story here on Door Report, he's got to offer some Louisville, Boston College. Well, that that video we posted on our uh, on our Twitter that he posted of him dunking, I think over somebody that was definitely taller than him. That's something you look at not only as a coach, but you know, as an evaluator of talent, especially as a fan. You look at you go, damn, this kid this kid could be something special. Yeah, I mean, you look at him 5'7", I think 175, and 175 is probably stretching it. He's going to have to put on weight. Yeah. The immediate guy that came into my mind uh, when looking at his film was a guy that actually started out on the defensive side of the ball before transitioning over and making some really big plays and a lot of jet sweeps, and that's Darius Sims. Yes. Uh, never, never a guy that, that was bigger in stature. He's not going to be catching too many passes over the middle of the field, but you get that kind of speed and with how the game is played today, um, that's, that's a necessity. And Vanderbilt always they are lacking that game breaking type of speed out there on the mm -hmm. field because you know speed is king and that and that speed usually relates to a high four star rating and those guys Vanderbilt yes. has a difficulty recruiting in and getting to commit in so obviously targeting the key characteristic there of just flat out burner speed and getting him in there and, and figuring out offensive packages to utilize him in um, and Billy you, you did miss a couple there you, you forgot oh. about Miguel Mitchell um, the oh, safety yes. there yeah, the three-star wow. safety. Yeah, out of Can't Oxford, Alabama. Him. So um, he actually started off the commitment party um, when yes. he committed to Vanderbilt. So uh, another guy listed as an athlete. I believe that that's three um, that they had committed uh, over over this last little stretch. Three of the five that that were listed as athletes, um, but mm -hmm. probably transitioning, like we mentioned, KD into a slot type of player. Yeah. And then you have Miguel Mitchell. Uh, have you touched on Caleb uh, Coley yet? I have not. I was actually just about to. And, and Will, I, I jumped the gun. Yeah, you're jumping the gun on me. Uh, but this is a guy that I think you said um, the most, the guy that projects most as, as maybe the better, the best athlete was Kenzie Paul. I might go with Caleb Coley and Casey Hayward will. That name probably rings a bell, a former cornerback at Vanderbilt. He is, he's from the same state as Coley, another middle, another middle Georgia guy. And uh, Hayward said, let's get it, my guy. Congratulations. Who's next? So it's kind of tweets like that, Will, that catch your eye and say, hey, the alumni are, are tuning into these kind of things, and, and they're looking at these commitments and saying, hey, that guy's from my state. Let's keep that rolling. So, you know, for a guy like Casey Hayward to, to do that is, is, is big-time endorsement. And looking at Caleb Coley, again, you look at the prototype, looks like a, a fast, speedy, burner type of guy that with a lot – with, you know, some work in the weight room can, can develop. So that's what they're going with, Will. I mean, that – that's the prototype they're going with. I mean, Barton Simmons, it seems like a lot of these guys are, are just him digging deep in the rough and, and snatching them out and saying, hey, you're going to get developed because um, that's been Vanderbilt's you know, method, especially, and that's what they've been talking about a lot with, uh, with Earl Bennett as well. Yeah, a couple of those things you touched on there is, is number one is alumni involvement, and that's something yes. that Vanderbilt has been horrendous 
at uh, specifically in the Derek Mason era. They just yes. were not good with alumni involvement and bringing back these guys that are well-known, bring back good memories to Vanderbilt fans, and then are good for exposure, like Casey Hayward, guys that have had good NFL careers, mm-hmm. Earl Bennett as well. And then we saw Jay Cutler actually at a Vanderbilt event in Vanderbilt gear um, in <laughs> yes. Omaha that we'll touch on later. You don't see it's that huge. very often. But getting to these actual recruits, you see the trend developing. And we, when we had Barton on, um, you know, he's, he's working closely alongside with Clark Lee and they're kind of building this class from the base up. But mm-hmm. one thing he specifically said, and I, I preface this by saying this is something every single coach says because nobody goes on to an interview and says, we recruit stars on 24-7. That's what we're doing <laughs> it for, recruiting class rankings. But he specifically said they're not looking whatsoever at stars. I mean, Barton used to be the guy that finalized yeah. those assigned stars. So that, <laughs> yeah, that being said from him, um, number one at Vanderbilt, they're not expected to get those four and five star guys. And that's not what they're going to do consistently right now, at least in the first three, four, probably classes of least tenure, assuming right. that, that things don't uh, spontaneously combust and burst into flames there. Uh, it's, it's, things seem to be going speak well. On that. <laughs> but he said, number one is body types. And you see that is... And when he's saying body types, I don't think he's saying the dude stepping out of the weight room at six, two and a half, two forty already, uh, going to play uh, outside it's linebacker. Monster. That's that's a four or five star guy. What what he's looking at is a when you look at the secondary and the guys that have committed, um, he, he's they're all six foot or over. Mm-hmm. Uh, six one, two oh five is is Miguel Mitchell. He projects out uh, another um, guy from the south here that I that yeah. I like to compare him to is kind of Kenny Ladler from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Mm. Uh, that was always my favorite intro. Was how he said on the on the jumbotron, Kenny Ladler, Stone Mountain, Georgia. It always got me ready, ready for game day. Um, but you Kenny look at they're, they're all above six foot. Um, and then if they're not necessarily the perfect body type, and they all need to get in the weight room, put on weight. But I think their idea is these guys have speed. You can't teach speed. You can improve it slightly. And height. You can't get in the weight room and improve height. So Casey Hayward was a hell of a corner, but he was five eleven, and that might be pushing it. Um, and I think right. the next generation of corners are guys built more closely to Joan Williams and the success he had there. And number two, if they don't have that body type, you're looking at a specific skill that they have, a specific package you can use them in, like Katie Hutchinson and that speed that he has there. And right. if you can get a combination of both of those things, um, then that's absolutely perfect. Ooh. And that's actually what he laid out when he was speaking with us. And I think he was pretty candid. It was pretty early. Um, and you're starting to see that trend develop throughout the entire class where it's line is sunk. Some of these guys that committed previously, Logan Patterson, yeah. the highest rated guy in the class. So you're starting to see body types, a specific skills that can be utilized in different packages, B, and then C, you're seeing a combination of those things and making sure mm. that these guys are bought in to really building this thing from the ground up. Yeah. And, you know, you look at this class, Will, and, and like you said, it, you know, this, this is not, these are not game changing guys. He's not program changing guys like, like a guy like Juwan Williams or, or, you know, anyone else like that. But they are guys that you look at and you say, Hey, I can take that guy. I can put him in the, in the Vanderbilt weight room. I can put him on the field and get him coached by this Vanderbilt staff and say, Hey, we're going to turn you into the player we want you to be. And we've talked about this a lot. You know, I feel like we rain on, on this, this parade, um every you know every episode but when we're talking football but that's what it is and that's what it should be at Vanderbilt you know until they can get that four-star guy you know locally yeah, and, or, or and this is what ahead. I wanted to hit on before we before we got to into you know shining and just everything is glorious over here with Vanderbilt the, all these commitments moved them to 33rd 
uh, in the national rankings on the 24 yeah. seven composite rankings. It moved him to 11th in, in the SEC, but I want to temper Vanderbilt expectations. And it seems when things are going good, everybody buys in and that's great. That's what you want. You want the fan base to be bought in. You want media to be bought in, but I just want to temper that and be the other side. The glass half empty is the average rating of the recruits Vanderbilt has brought in. It's right around 85, uh, which, it's just not going to get it. That's that's probably if that continues, if they don't get any other four stars, commits, higher rated guys, they're going to be outside the top 50, bottom right. of the SEC, because they have more guys committed and how they calculate that. It's a score based on every recruit you bring in. So Vanderbilt right. has 14 commits. Most schools have between eight and 12. So obviously Vanderbilt's going to be higher. And you have to look at these classes and say, would we have been as excited if this was still Derek Mason being the coach? Um, Ooh, and that answer is a re- that's a resounding no. But we, we are excited because you do have a new general manager, an entirely new role at Vanderbilt, and the guy bringing these guys in and probably having the final say is Barton Simmons, who used to be the head editor of 24-7 Sports <laughs> and those rankings. So I think you have to look at it on both sides and just say, okay, this is the first class. They call it hashtag first class. It's not going to be the class that's going to, to bring us back to Franklin numbers of being in the top 25 yeah. in recruiting classes. Granted, those didn't particularly work out well. Um, but but just temper expectations. These guys are going to fit niches. And remember, Vanderbilt is starting off with definitely the least individual talent in the entire SEC. And and you have to look at it and compare other schools like Kansas, possibly Syracuse, and say they might be the least individual. And this is not hating on the team or anything. If you just line them up yeah. ranking for ranking, it just is what it is. This is probably one of the bottom five talented power five teams in the country, if not the least talented when you just go off recruiting rankings right. and, because... and production and production returning from last year, just because, you know, you lost your best defensive players and in, in Kaufman exactly. and I, more. I, yeah. I was just about to say that with Kaufman because you lose him. And I, I think solely with him, Will, you, you look at it, you go, yeah, Vanderbilt on that defensive end, you look at Kaufman being there. That might have, you know, upped the ante a little bit with them, but you never know. Yeah, and and Lee is, we're expecting him to just turn around this defense immediately because that's what he's known for is, is a defensive genius coming from Notre Dame. And and I think eventually his system will work. But remember, he doesn't have any of his guys, and he lost the two guys that were probably the most versatile players on that defense from a team that already wasn't very good. Um, and you lose Io Dangbo, who's a second-round talent. So right. you have a lot of pieces to replace, a lot of inexperience on that defense. And I, I know that every school says that going into every year, but Vanderbilt specifically this year defensively, and none of these recruits are going to be coming onto the field this upcoming year. But, man, they're going to be replacing a lot of key parts on a defense that already wasn't good. But that offense on the other side, you look at and say you have a lot of returning talent and a lot of expectations. So it's kind of weird going into the season and thinking about, and we'll of course discuss this more when we get there, but thinking about you brought in this defensive minded head coach and your expectations going in aren't the defense is going to struggle, but the offense should uh, take a massive leap from last season. Yeah. And you know, we'll touch on that a little, a lot more, but will I get back to recruiting a little bit before we go to baseball. I think with a lot of these guys, you know, as, as a Vanderbilt fan, you look at it, and you go, oh, this guy has to end up being a stud because Clark Lee recruited him. Barton Simmons recruited him. <laughs> Norval McKenzie contacted him. You know, and but I, I'm with you, Will. I think they, you know, they do need as a Vanderbilt person, Vanderbilt fan, you know, just tone it down a little bit. I know they have some momentum. These are um, you know, these these are solid commits. Um, but tone it down a little bit and uh, you know, we'll see if they can snag any, you know, any any more talented guys, you know, and similar guys. Uh, to the to this mold. Will 
enough football. We will uh, be, talk, be talking football all summer. Let's recap this baseball season. And this is going to be the brunt of this of the rest of this first segment, obviously with Mitch Light coming up uh, here very shortly. Um, but, Will, th- this season, there's a lot we can, we can talk about. I mean, we're not going to dive into the entire season beginning to end, but, you know, starting in the College World Series, for this team to make it as far as the national championship is saying something. And I, for me personally, yes, it's disappointing. It, it was quite embarrassing, actually, the way those final two games played out against Mississippi State. Um, but I think it was more on Mississippi State. Just give credit to the Bulldogs. I mean, they were the better team those final two games, and they really showed out. They played nearly perfect baseball. I mean, they executed at the plate with two strikes. They played nearly perfect defense, nearly flawless. The way they played, they deserve to win the national championship. Um, But I think Tim Corbin said it best. The length of this season, along with the physical and emotional toll uh, that it took on this team, just kind of wore on them. And and it finally hit them at at the worst possible time, the – during the national championship series, but as as disappointing as it was, Will, there's still plenty of positives to be taken out of this this season. Um, you know, obviously, you wanted to win it all there because you were there in the moment. Yes, damn. Uh, obviously, you you want to be able to win it all, but um, Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker they put up historic numbers. They put themselves in the conversation of maybe the best one-two punch in college baseball history, and Anyone who says they were carried by this team the whole season, I think is wrong. You know, at times they were carried by the, they, this team was carried by them. Yes. Um, And many games, many times, you know, they had to rely on them, but time and time again, this team will, they showed fight. They showed fight against Georgia tech there in the regional championship. They showed fight against Arizona to come back and win that one on a walk-off. They showed fight in an elimination game with one down to their final strike and came back and beat Stanford on behind their bats. So anyone that says this team was carried all season long by the pit by those two guys, I think is wrong. Um, and and will quite frankly, they showed they knew how to win games when it mattered most. And up leading up until the national championship series, of course, they did not show that at all. But to get there, and yes, they were a little bit fortunate um, with that NC State situation. We're not going to get into that. Um, but will I just think this team. Yes, it was a negative way to end the season, and the vibes are not high at all right now. But I'm with the positives. I think you know you can take that this team did show fight, but they just kind of lost it mentally. Would you agree there towards the to the towards the final two games against Mississippi State? It's weird talking about Vanderbilt baseball when right after you shift from Vanderbilt football or we talk about basketball and just how we talk about the success of the season. Because if this was a basketball or football season ever in the next 40 years would be jumping off the roof in excitement that we just finished (laughs) runner up in the country. So I want to say it from there. We're going to sound like spoiled baseball Vanderbilt fan brats here. But the season was a disappointment. And I, I just as flatly as I can say it, I'm the only person that will probably just straight up say that um, of anybody that covers Vanderbilt this season was a big disappointment. And why I say that is you've returned your best pitcher um, from the 2019 run, arguably best pitcher from the 2019 championship run. Granted, the bats were more inexperienced, but you have two top 10 arms in, in, in a NCAA baseball postseason that really builds itself on winning best of three series. And if you couldn't get it done with the bats this year with that, with that pitching rotation top end of that bullpen, 
there were and I and there were injuries that contributed to this mm -hmm. um, that made them less dominant. But if you pair off talent wise, MLB talent versus MLB talent of every single roster in in the country, Vanderbilt's clearly the most talented team. So you have to say if you don't win the national championship, if you want to be known as this best program in the country, then it's a disappointment if you don't win it. That being said, the whole season wasn't a bust. I mean, you saw an incredible incredible season that we'll never see anything like again from Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker that didn't oh, carry yeah. this team. Um, you touched on it right there. They didn't carry this team through most of the year. I mean, Vanderbilt led the SEC in batting average. The yeah. bats just got cold at the wrong time of the year, and the pitching was so damn good that it could carry them all the way to game three of the College World Series championship. So mm -hmm. the, this season, we're never going to see anything like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter again in a Vanderbilt uniform we'll, as a combo. We'll see guys of that ilk again yeah. um, at some point in that, in that starting rotation, but the season was disappointing. The bats just got cold at the wrong time. There's nothing you can point to and say that's what they were doing incorrectly. Um, and then when the bats are spiraling, regardless of what anyone says, it couldn't have helped having Vanderbilt go when we touched on this with Mitch Light. He doesn't think it affected them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that usually it does galvanize a team. In his words, he said, usually an us against the world galvanizes a team. Yeah. Um, I think Vanderbilt uniquely, before any of this, Vanderbilt was pretty much the most likable team in the country. They were, at the time, similar um, to how Oregon was when they were winning all those championships. It, nobody hated Oregon when they had Marcus Mariota. Um, nobody hated him. Everybody was a big fan, so they're not used to that kind of hate on the other side, outside of from Mississippi State fans, um, which they were already going to college world series and then all of a they, sudden they they're, the evil, yeah. they're the evil empire cheaters of college baseball <laughs> that should just go away they don't deserve it and that first game i think may have given fans a false sense of confidence in the offense is back and improved because we saw a lot in that first inning with seven runs but not a lot of those were from hits most of those are from walks that's how the bases got loaded mm -hmm. um, with runners and they moved the ducks around the pond with some timely hitting um, but really i believe in that first inning they had seven runs and three hits four hits um, i don't yeah. have the box score in front of me and i just don't know what happened with the bats and then because you i think the worst thing to happen was to come out with that offensive explosion and then score one more run um, the entirety yeah, that, of the rest of the game <laughs> because tough. then once one thing goes bad the us against the world thing is great um, when things are going great and that first inning it was effing awesome i'll censor right here <laughs> to watch them come out and put seven on the board but then those bats and, and the old coming up again and, and poke and rearing their ugly head and yeah. i it's hard not to get in your own head and read your own twitter mentions and and look in every single comment on anything that's going on in college baseball and the vander frauds and whatever it might be yeah. and these are 18 to 22 year olds i mean it's it is what it is they're going to read that they're going to see that and regardless of whether it's conscious or subconscious it's going to have a small effect on your baseball performance, which is such a mental game um, in and of itself. So that I'm not saying that was even a five or 10% factor in why they won, yeah. but, but to think it had no impact is, is naive. Yeah. Um, and, and eventually the arms just couldn't carry him anymore. And Rocker, unfortunately, in his last performance and last outing at a Vanderbilt uniform, just didn't have his best stuff. And Leiter yeah. and Rocker just hadn't had that kind of disappointing performance. So it was odd to see in a big moment, they always came out and performed. And, and hats off to them for performing as many times as they have. Yeah, and Will, I'm with you there, you know, for the most part. Um, but I go back to um, a lot of the Mississippi State people, NC State people, and a lot of the country, because you're right, Will. Vanderbilt was hated. They were hated by a lot of general baseball fans, college baseball fans, SEC fans. And 
um, you got to believe with how young this team was that, you know, I'm not saying they're reading their Twitter every day, every night um, and, and looking at it, but it, you know, they're, they're hated. And, and, you know, but um, you know, it is what it is, but I go back to them, people saying they didn't deserve to be there or they didn't earn that their spot in the final championship series. Whoever says that is blatantly wrong because they did everything they had to do. Yes. They didn't play NC state one more time with half of their team. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's fortune. Fortune gets you to places because of the program they are. Um, and I was saying because they were Vanderbilt, they got there. Um, I think that's what a lot of people read into. They read too deeply that they're Vanderbilt and this is a scam by the NCAA. No, NC state, they, it was their own problem and they caused that problem. We're not going to dive into that at all, No. but Vanderbilt, they, they did what they had to do. They got to that spot. And that's why, I, you know, I, I, yes, it was disappointment. Will, um, and, and the way, the way, you know, obviously I think before this season, you look at it, you say, Hey, Vanderbilt, they're going to go back to back. They got rocker and lighter, you know, initially, but without thinking about what they're going to have offensively. But I think that tells you what college baseball is about. Yes, if you have two dominant pitchers, you're going to win a lot of games and they're going to take you a long way. But in the end, you have to be able to execute offensively, especially with two strikes in those big situations. Uh, because if you don't, you're going to get beat by a, by a great Mississippi State team. And, and you know, that team, that Mississippi State team could is up there with one of the better teams in college baseball history, I really do believe. The way they executed those, those last two games, Will, was unreal. So I think overall for me, Will, that I'm going to take into next season is that they learned a lot. They, they, I mean, they went through a lot of different situations and they're going to be better. They're going to be better because of this. And we will touch on this with Mitch light. I'm looking forward to next season. I mean, it's a, it's another Vandy baseball season. How, how can you not? Um, yeah, you've got, but, a, you've got a ton of returning talent. I mean, I think yeah. it's lost because you're losing lighter and rocker who are the biggest names on that roster, but man, you have a lot of guys returning with a right. lot of talent, a lot of guys returning from injuries um, right. that we get into with Mitch light. So it, it's definitely not all gloom and doom. Um, over here. I also don't want to sound too on the side of its doom and gloom. And this season was entirely a massive disappointment because they finished runner up in game three. I mean, they, not, they not played, that. but Vanderbilt really, really tested the old adage of pitching and defense <laughs> win championships because they that's, did. I they mean, did. wow. And their defense yeah. really didn't play well. They tested the adage of no pitching. can pitching yeah. win you a championship because the defense yeah. really, really was one thing that I think you'd never really say it about the bright lights and pressure getting to Vanderbilt because they're in that place so often. But I think the brighter lights of, and that's what I was getting at when I said that it probably got in their heads a little bit. I think they were pressing yeah. uh, in some in some routine type plays that you've seen these guys make day in, day out, game after game, the entirety of the season. It's the same size field, same size base paths, same type of ball being hit at them. And they've played teams as good and better than Mississippi State. I'm not saying that... Mississippi State was the hottest team in the country, and, and oh, people I mean, claim NC State was. NC State was on fire as well, and they were hot, but they weren't that talented. And people tend to forget Vanderbilt was a significant favorite going into Omaha, and they were an yes. even more significant favorite to beat NC State twice before any of the COVID stuff happened. Going yes. into that Friday game, before any of that happened, they were minus 220 to win yeah. that first game. They were almost even money to win two games to NC State's one game. So let's let's stop pretending like Vandy lucked into this college. Yeah, I love the fact that that people like NC State's the favorite. NC State deserves to be there. NC State earned this moment. How did yeah, NC State how. earn that? 
I don't know how that shifted to that point, but you and really also, felt... also I, I have to throw this in for all the Mississippi State people that just I mean they don't get under my skin very often and they're just kind of like the sheep, um, you know, kind of running around. But how if so for Mississippi State, NC State should have been there. Are they just gonna NC State should should win this national championship if Vanderbilt wins it? They deserve it. Are they going to be cheering for NC State in the national championship? I mean, they, I think a lot of the state fans turned into NC State fans. And so I think they might have been confused if they meet in the national championship. It's like, wait, so NC State gets in. Do we cheer? I mean, yeah, I think it was and and this is one of our one of our writers, Jacob Scholl, has, has been really on this point. But he said, Legend. if there was going to be an asterisk next to Vanderbilt's national title, if it was to happen, then you sure as hell have got to put one next to Mississippi <laughs> State because they didn't yeah. they didn't play the hottest team in the country, which is what Mississippi <laughs> State fans were telling me the entire weekend was it doesn't count. Vandy was going to lose this NC State team's unbeatable. And yeah. so, well, why do you get a full, fully qualified national championship? But that's more facetious right there. And it, Mississippi State at this time of the year, not saying round for person for no person talent, but this time of the year, Mississippi State was the better team when they played Vanderbilt in that yes. three-game series. They were better. And yes. that's just a hard pill to swallow when you look at it and say you made it that close and you just ran into a buzzsaw yeah. um, of a team that was just playing so well together and the energy behind them in Omaha was was yeah. phenomenal. I'll give credit. It was insane. Credit to <laughs> the Man, cra- I, I it, mean, it was, this, it was a home game for Mississippi State. Uh, and, and obviously for Vanderbilt, that, that definitely played into it, I think. Um, and, well, we could talk about this season, this one season for a long time. And I asked Mitch like this. I want to ask you the same before we go on to him. What would be your blanket statement for me? Um, I mean, I think a lot. Of, I think we all have the same similar statement that you know this this team was led by two elite pitchers, um, but their youth and inexperience cost them. You know, and that, that's I think I, li- I like doing that. I like putting that blanket statement on a season. What would be yours? You know, is yours the same exact thing, or, or are you going a little bit different twist on it? Yeah, before I give my statement, you got it. Mississippi State was so experienced, and and they had those guys, and and it just felt like things were coming yeah. together with the seniors on that roster. And there yeah. were a lot of guys like that with the lot of a lot more experienced teams yeah. than usual, excluding Vanderbilt because of the reduced amount of rounds in the MLB draft mm-hmm. last yeah. season. Tanner Allen, but, Rowdy Jordan. I mean, they. I mean, they, they were and Bednar. They were they were just playing incredibly well and syncing up. But if I had to give a blanket statement, I mean, obviously. I, I don't want to come off as because it's Tim Corbin. I don't want to say one season, but I have to be very careful with how I say this. The pitching <laughs> was out. Pitching was outstanding, and the bat struggled. But Tim Corbin struggled with how stubborn he was with the lineup, um, and mm. I think that would be my one blanket statement. Of, of typically, I'm I'm usually all on everything Corbin does. But he, I know Carter Young came out after the season. He was playing at you know fifty percent or whatever it was. He shouldn't have been in the lineup. And and that's I, I love Carter Young. He's one of my favorite players on the team. But if he's playing at fifty percent, you look at his numbers. At one point, he's batting under a hundred. Um, and yeah. once he returned from the injury, he shouldn't have been in the lineup. He should have had Colwick come in there and and do what they'd done before. Isaiah Thomas should have been out of the lineup quicker than he was. Um, you had a lot of guys struggling, and and Noland uh, he kind of came on a little bit later there, but. You had a lot of guys that even if you want to keep them in the lineup for defensive purposes, and none of them were playing well defensively, I don't know why you mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. He was still leaving Enrique Bradfield getting on base often, working the count. He was hot the entire postseason, and then you just got out in Carter Young. He's an auto out. He's not going to progress him unless he steals yeah. a base. Then you got Dom Keegan, but you're guaranteed to have one out when he comes up, and he was playing well. And then you go to Nolan. 
Um, and then you go, or I believe it was Laniv sitting in there for a while. He was struggling yeah. as well. But you had guys in the bottom of the order, and he did it for the third game. But you had Javier Vaz, who was on quite the hot streak. And I know you want a little bit of power after Enrique Bradfield, but he finally made the change that we wanted to see, but it came too late. And that should have happened earlier before uh, the, the championship series even even began against Mississippi right. State. So rarely do I question Corbin specifically, but in this instance, <laughs> I think there were a couple guys in that lineup that probably shouldn't have been in there and just because mm-hmm. they performed so well all season. I mean, they've been outstanding yeah. the entire season. Yeah. Awesome. But once he came back from the injury, he wasn't the same player, and you just got to be honest with yourself and say – He's a fan favorite. He's one of the most talented guys here, but he's not himself. And you just right. pull him out of the lineup. He's hurting the team as opposed to helping the team. Right. And, and I yeah, think I that's mean, kind of the one thing that sticks in my head after the season that's that's really on the negative side. Yeah. And that's that's not even like super that's like not even really that negative. Yeah. That's like it's <laughs> that's just touching the surface. Um, yeah. so you look at it, Will, and and this team honestly is yes, it was disappointing to lose, but overall Vanderbilt was still the runner up in the national championship. And they're going to try to do it again next year with another talented group. And uh, we're going to talk all about it coming up with Mitch Light. He um, obviously with the athletic, um, obviously on the college football side of things. Um, and Will, it, this was fun to, to kind of dive into the, the season recap with Mitch. Uh, we did not touch any football, uh, but we did get some, some football talk in uh, there before. But it's always good to catch up with Mitch as always. Yeah, we had to. Uh, we're about to spend the next what four months, five months talking almost exclusively football. Get into a little the bit, a little days, bit of basketball baby. down there in October, November, and I am unbelievably excited to finally uh, shift our focus. And the baseball run was awesome. It was great to extend out into the summer, but man, am I excited! We're for stepping some full into capacity, your wheelhouse, Will. Full capacity college football, baby. It's <laughs> it's coming up, and I'm and full I'm send. ecstatic. Can't oh, wait. We got we got, <laughs> we got Mitch Light coming up. We will talk. Uh, a little bit more last chance, last time we're going to be talking baseball here uh, for a long time on the door port, but baseball season recap for the Vandy boys coming right up here with Mitch light from the athletics. Stay tuned here on the door report. Before we get to the interview portion of the podcast with Mitch light, it's time now to send it over to Gary scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor, Alaco fine wood floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flowing job. To Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. Welcome back into the Door Report. Alongside Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick, and we are happy to welcome you back into the interview portion of today's podcast. And we are happy to Announce Mitch Light is our guest here in the interview portion. He's the college football editor for The Athletic. Obviously, he previously served as the managing editor uh, for The Athletic in, in Nashville, obviously with Athlon Sports um, as well. Um, and so he's been all over Nashville, all over, all over Vanderbilt as well. And he was actually in Omaha, so we'll touch on his time there. Mitch, thanks for taking the time. No problem, Billy, and uh, glad to say you got my my uh, vast career experience correct. I think last time, you know, yes, uh, but it's, it's a, yeah, I, I I get it wrong all the time. I refer <laughs> to myself as Athlon Mitch, my Twitter handle. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's okay. Mitch. We got it right this time. Uh, thank exactly. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take the credit for that. I did it this time, so there weren't any mistakes. 
Thank you. Will. Yeah, we're, we're going to keep going with Will on the uh, on the bio intros here. But Mitch, I want to start uh, by your time in Omaha. You uh, obviously, I'm pretty sure, took your son up there. Um, I'm sure it was a huge time. It seemed like to me one of the better overall atmospheres that we've seen in Omaha in a long time. And I think the circumstances helped with that, obviously, uh, coming out of uh, the pandemic a little bit. And fans were eager to get out there after not being there last season. But um, what was your impression of the atmosphere and uh, kind of your time there, of course, with Vanderbilt there again? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was there. My son was there, but I was not there with my son. We. Uh, oh, wow. He, he, it's funny. I posted a picture of my son uh, that one of his friends took on Facebook. I don't post a lot on Facebook, but it's sort of like, hey, tough ending for the Commodores, but Gabe had a great time in Omaha. And like several people posted, oh, such great that you're able to spend these quality moments with your son and all that. I was like, yeah, actually, he went with friends and I went with friends and I saw him for like 10 minutes out in Omaha. He had actually <laughs> planned that he's 17 now. He actually planned on going. One of uh, our neighbors, uh, a good friend of his um, is actually a senior at UT, but grew up a Vanderbilt fan, a guy that I. Uh, yes, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jonathan Conrocode. I think yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. So he, you know, he grew up going to Vanderbilt games with us, and is you know obviously likes Tennessee, but still, still a, a Vanderbilt fan. So they had actually planned to go to the College World Series Finals three weeks ago, and got an Airbnb and all that stuff. And they said, wow. hey, maybe Vanderbilt, Tennessee, whatever. But um, so then I wasn't going. I've been three times before in the first weekend only, and so I've always wanted to go to the finals. It's and we can talk about that in a minute. It's a different type atmosphere. Yeah. And then at the last minute, I one of my friends had a hotel room and opportunity to get some tickets, so I just had to get a, a plane uh, ticket out there. So I flew out Monday after uh, Tuesday morning, so I didn't see the Monday game, the game Vanderbilt <laughs> one. So I only saw the two losses. Um, but yeah, Man. so the atmosphere in normal years is, is I always recommend to people if they're a first time College World Series goer to go the first weekend because it's you got all eight fan bases. It's like a festive atmosphere. It's really cool. The town's mm -hmm. alive. The, the, the championship series is more for the hardcore fans of that specific team or if you haven't been someone like me who haven't been to the first round. So uh, been to the finals before. So. Obviously, you know, Mississippi State fans were everywhere. You know, they, it was a huge moment for that program and that school. Like, I didn't think Vanderbilt was poorly represented. Vanderbilt probably had what it normally has for mm -hmm. the finals, you know. Um, and also, Vanderbilt has been there a lot lately. So, you know, a lot of people right. may have already gone in the past. It's not something a lot of people can do, get away, afford to do right. every year. Uh, but Mississippi State just made it an incredible environment. And um, they're, they're, they've got great fans. We know that. We've we watch any game. On TV, they've got great fans, and this was a, a huge moment for that program. Much was made of the, you know, the best program to never win a title, uh, and that's true. Yeah. And now they've won their title. So yeah, it was it was you know, I was people like, oh, the trip must have stung. No, it was great. It's great to be out there. Obviously, I would have preferred the Vanderbilt won the games, but uh, it had a really good time. Can't recommend going to Omaha enough. Yeah, you touched on the atmosphere, and that's one thing on TV. It looked obviously Vanderbilt was severely outnumbered. Yep. You know, probably to put it kindly. But on TV, it's a little bit hard to tell because, you know, they'll show the specific, uh, you know, sections of fans and they'll have, uh, I think they were moving the mic away from the Vanderbilt fans and the whistler. So it was hard <laughs> to tell as far as uh, crowd cheering goes, but I can't blame them necessarily for that. But how would you estimate as far as percentages uh, the Mississippi State versus Vanderbilt fans were represented? Oh, I mean, I, I don't, what's, what's it seat, like 23,000? I mean, my guess yeah. is there were 2,000 Vanderbilt fans would be my guess. I, you know, uh, it's hard to tell sometimes 
and the announcers can't really tell because the, the sections aren't in view of the TV announcers or TV. They're like tucked away. The, the, the official sections for each team are kind of tucked away underneath the overhang. And then there's a couple sections of Vanderbilt fans in the upper deck, which never mm-hmm. get on TV there. So except for um, Jay Cutler. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, he's in the suite. I'm talking about the, upper Oh, deck. Oh, you're talking about the suite. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was in the upper deck for the second game there. So, you know, it, it's hard to say. So, you know, my, here, here's the thing, usually for the finals, it's, unless it's a Texas Mississippi state or LSU, it's usually maybe two to four or 5,000 for each team. And then the rest is just all Omaha natives or just people who are just baseball fans. What this was, you had your probably your normal, what Vanderbilt fans brought would have brought in a normal year. And then 95% of the other people were Mississippi state people. Like I didn't see, I saw some people with Nebraska stuff, saw yeah. some LSU fans. Cause there's always LSU fans, but I did not see many just, Hey, dad's taking the boys out to the college world series. And they're just wearing their little league stuff. Like it was yeah. all Mississippi State people or Vanderbilt people like I'd say 90 99% of the people there were wearing colors of those two schools and obviously the vast majority of those were wearing Mississippi State colors right and the way it usually goes it builds up so if a, a team like Mississippi State they already have a lot of their fans in Starkville they get to the final series now they're bringing even more they cut because they have that time to travel so that's how it's kind of always played out as you know uh, but Mitch I want to ask a little bit about this team in particular and and at Corbin, after, uh, after losing to Mississippi State there in game three, he talked about how this team, you know, they might have just ran out of gas and the, the length of the season um, got to them a little bit. And, and uh, you know, they were very emotionally, both emotionally and physically taxed. So would you agree with that, that assessment there and, and uh, just kind of noticing some of that with this team uh, as of late? Yeah, it's hard to put our finger on what the problem was. Clearly was not the team that we saw earlier in the year. Now, pitching for the most part was, you know, obviously the last two games kind of got away uh, from them, but Vanderbilt clearly pitched well in Omaha and that's what kept them alive. Um, Mm -hmm. But dating back to really the end of the regular season, the Kentucky series, you you said, said I'll throw the Presbyterian game out there because they just weren't very good. In the Georgia Tech, the third game of that series, when you're the, the, a bad pitching staff was on fumes. Other than those, that game really, Vanderbilt just did not put much together offensively. And I think when we watched the East Carolina series, now uh, Garrett, what's the dude's name? Garrett Williams was obviously he's obviously a top draft pick. Gavin Williams. But we yeah. were like watching that, saying that guy's incredible, which he was. But then the next day, Vanderbilt didn't hit the next kid. I forgot his name was. Oh, he's incredible too. You know, ran into great pitching. Well, that was more of a sign, maybe the Vanderbilt's bats slowing down, um, and clearly just did not. You know, if mental fatigue, physical fatigue, facing you know facing better pitching, obviously that had a lot to do with it. But it wasn't just that. You know, look at the Friday NC State game with that makeshift staff. Those guys shut Vanderbilt down too. Um, I don't know if it's as easy as just saying that's baseball and too many guys were slumping at the same time approach, you know, there's so much that goes into it, but there was clearly something wrong with the offense down the stretch. And that's what did this team in. I mean, all that being said, made the last game of the college world series, you know, there's 300 programs that would love to switch places. That's four championship series in seven years. Everyone knows this is sometimes you got to take a step back and have a little perspective but you're being you're it's you're being naive if you're saying something wasn't missing. I mean, clearly that was this is the team that what led the SEC in batting average in the regular season. It wasn't like they were struggling all season and continued to struggle in the postseason. They just struggled at the wrong time. Yeah, and pitching carried this team is 
pretty much as far as it possibly could until uh, that game three against Mississippi State where finally one time lighter rocker came out there and didn't have their best stuff. But um, it, obviously something was wrong with the bats and something was slumping and, and something that didn't help was the media frenzy that led up uh, to the actual College World Series against Mississippi State. I don't know if you uh, heard about it. Um, it was all, a little bit all over ESPN, maybe just a little bit. But um, it, with the disqualification of NC State and Vanderbilt kind of turning from a team that I would consider pretty universally liked um, across social media, and they're always kind of a cool team to, sure. to be a fan of, turning them over into the Darth Vader of SEC or in, in college baseball, how much of an impact do you think that had on them in that series when things started going bad and then it just kind of spiraling from there? That's a good question, Will, and it's impossible to answer unless you gave everyone truth serum. And even if even if you did, it could be subconscious. You just don't know. But the, the fact that they won the first game against Mississippi State kind of makes it difficult to say, you know, oh, they, you know, the – I think, you know, we all watch enough sports. I think stuff like that galvanizes the team and makes them stronger and us against the world. I mean, for, let's step back. The whole thing is so ridiculous. We all we don't need to rehash all of what went on there. And um, I mean, the fact that anyone could question, you know, I'm Tim Corbin in those circumstances. But yeah, I, mean, um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it impacted them. Uh, maybe I'm naive, but I the fact that they won the first game and those some, some pretty tough kids and. They probably got a, a kick out of it. I mean, you think Kumar Rock? Think Kumar Rocker struggled because people didn't like him? No, I mean, you know. So it's something to bring up. It's a fair question, and I would love to, you know, sit down and again talk to Tim Corbin for about for an hour and see what his genuine thoughts were on it. But um, I think Vanderbilt just ran into a team that was better, clearly better than it was on those three days. Even you know, even in the win, and just did not play well enough to win. I think we can talk about all these other circumstances but it was just a better team yeah I mean it was as, it was as simple as that and, and you know I, I know we always love to to rehash and and you know we've given you plenty of time to kind of swallow this uh, a little bit and that's that was kind of part of our plan just kind of dive into you know who this team was this year and and uh, you know we tweeted this out from our account Mitch but um, this team for them to even get to the national championship with how young and inexperienced they were was was remarkable in and of itself so uh from your point of view mitch how, you know i'm not going to tell you to ask you to put a grade on this team but um how how much of this do you think they can take into into next year because we always talk about that with corbin teams they're going to take this into next season um how much of this do you think they can learn from and and be better uh be better off next year a lot i mean you look at the 2019 team and how veteran it was and guys like stephen scott and ethan paul who came back now it all depends on who comes back you know how right regardless barring some surprises it's still going to be a veteran lineup um a lot of guys uh who who you know clearly will lose isaiah thomas and jason gonzalez probably lose dominic keegan but beyond that most of the key guys are going to be back and those situations do nothing but help them and um, the fact that they've, you know, navigated an SEC season, a lot was made in the preseason. Hey, these, these got a good team, but none of these guys have really played an SEC game except for maybe Isaiah Thomas and Jason Gonzalez. And, um, so I, I think it's invaluable experience. I think it was invaluable experience for some of the pitching, even in that game two loss to get guys like Nelson Berkwich, who I think is a pretty good pitcher out yeah. there. 
and on that stage and you know you know we all know christian little didn't go great for him but that that was great experience for him and and patrick riley and you know uh, who i was just looking at some numbers um if patrick riley we all know his his up and down nature of his year but what was he the opposing batters batted 194 against him so yeah i mean the stuff is clearly there so he's a guy that 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 got valuable experience this year and was thrown into the fire of an sec rotation and 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 you know was in a uh regional final game against georgia tech in which he i believe you know walked the four guys in a row in the first inning and had to work mm-hmm. his way out of that so i, I mean i yeah. think all these guys you can you can come up with carter young playing through injury and and, and, and basically probably facing a harsh word failure for the first time in his athletic career. I mean, he was struggled on defense and he struggled at the bat. I mean, that's going to make him better next year. I mean, he'll get healthy. So I think all this spirit does nothing but but help this team next year. Yeah, it feels weird talking about these guys after the season ends and they haven't. Yeah. We don't know where they're drafted yet because usually we find that that out much earlier. Right. But yeah, we we know about the two headed monster in rocker and lighter and where they're going to fall in that top 10 probably is is going to be debated until the draft starts on july 11th but who are the and you mentioned a couple names and dominique keegan isaiah thomas who are some guys that you can see going in in those earlier rounds of the draft um this year yeah i mean so i'm basically just kind of regurgitating stuff i read obviously i'm not a draft uh i can't sit there and say that guy should be a third round pick and and stuff but you know obviously the two pitchers you would you know, stunning if they did not go. I, I think the key guys are going to be Nick Maldonado, a draft eligible sophomore, and Luke Murphy. Um, and also Ethan Smith, a guy who basically didn't pitch this year. He maybe he says, comes back and says, I, I, I can earn a spot in this rotation and, and make more money next year. Um, but I think, you know, Murphy is, I saw him today. I think D1 had their list of college prospects. So it wasn't the high school guys weren't in it, and he was pretty high up in there. I forgot what he was, but. You know, he showed the ability this year to throw strikes, which was kind of his, the problem last year in his brief appearances. And we all know the consistency of his fastball. And then, um, you know, m- maybe Nick Maldonado says, hey, I can come back and be a starter next year. And, and that could improve his stock. So I, I think on the mound that some of those guys you have to watch out for. And to me, Keegan's the interesting guy. Like he, he obviously had a great year offensively. Um, but he's not a for you know he's a first baseman, not a great defensive player. Does the team think he can catch? If so, maybe he goes higher there. So I, he's a guy that I think it wouldn't shock me if he came back. I mean, I'm not expecting it, but it wouldn't shock me. And Tate Colwick is a guy who's a junior. I'm not hearing much draft buzz for him. I think he's a guy that could come back there. So um, you know, and CJ Rodriguez, a draft eligible sophomore slumped at the plate. I think he's a guy that could have a big junior season. I think they need to get a little more rest for him. I think that was probably the plan. They started to work Max Romero into the lineup a little more mid-SEC season than Max got hurt, so CJ was forced to catch a lot there. So um, it's the usual, not problem, the usual situation with Vanderbilt with the type of players they have. A lot of them are going to be, you know, in the draft. And it seems like more and more, I guess, guys, there's more draft-eligible sophomores than ever, I guess, just just guys, quote-unquote, redshirting earlier in 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 their athletic careers are getting to college older. Um, so that seems to be, I don't know, you guys have followed this too. It seems like there's last two years, a lot more draft eligible sophomores on the Vanderbilt yeah. roster than there was five, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it, especially with the COVID year. I know CJ Rodriguez is eligible too, uh, because yeah. of the age, uh, difference there. He turned 21, 45 days before the yeah. start of the draft. So, uh, a lot of loopholes there, uh, in the major league, uh, draft process. We'll see. Uh, but I do want to 
go, go a little deeper on rocker and lighter and, and, and kind of the impact they had on this team. And Will touched on it. You know, you could argue they were carried at times uh, by those two guys. And, and uh, yes, the hitting did show up certain times, but uh, without them to, I don't even know if they make it to Omaha. So Mitch, with those two guys gone next year, what kind of a, uh, of a pitching lineup do you expect? And um, you know, it's really early to, to try to try to predict who, what's the, who the three guys are going to be uh, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys. But um, you know, for you, who, who do you think might step into to the, some of those roles and, and uh, step up as, as starters next year? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. You should have some sort of tri- uh, co- a contest. I would love for, you know, get, get 100 Vanderbilt fans to name the starting three-man rotation, not for opening day, for like mm-hmm. the, the last SEC series of the season. Like, can, yeah. you, you, can you name so that you, you can throw some freshmen into the mix there, some guys? It's like, because, you know, what's the starting for what it is in the last weekend? Um, I'm not well-schooled enough to know about the incoming guys, so I'm going to assume that some of those guys are candidates but not really going to put them I think the thing about it you're dealing with such talented guys that there there how do I say there's so many guys that we're just not expecting that that could take that lead next year like Will Bednar is a perfect example in Mississippi State he was a guy that barely threw last year in the COVID year and then he worked his way into the rotation he was the Saturday starter by the end of the year for Mississippi State he's one of the best pitchers in the country there's plenty of guys on the Vanderbilt roster I'm not saying that they can they're going to be you know, first round draft picks next year, but have that ability. Like Miles Garrett's a guy that I was really impressed with early in the year. I thought he threw the ball great mm-hmm. and then he got hurt. Um, like I mentioned before, Patrick Riley, clearly batters hit under 200 against him. He's got the stuff there. So um, I, I'm going to say um, little Patrick Riley and Miles Garrett are my, my okay. three. Now, uh, does a guy like, Spencer Jones pitch you know he he was considered I think yeah. a better pitching prospect coming out of high school through high 90s you know he's had mm-hmm. Tommy John surgery um Ethan Smith's a candidate to come back Nick Maldonado like I said if he wants to start so I, I think I understand the oh no who's going to start the pitching's not going to be good next year no way it's going to be as good as it's it, Vanderbilt staff will never be as good as it was this year because you have two generational yeah. talents but I think you're being a little naive that's third time I've mentioned the word naive today, but third, you're being a little naive. If you're just dismissing this pitching staff, there will be guys that step up and we get spoiled. Okay. This guy's pitching. Like that's a part of the problem this year. So those of us that watch these teams, like, it's like, Oh my God, Jack Leiter gave up three runs. You know I mean? That's like, it's college baseball. You, you, there's nothing wrong with winning six, four, but you get so spoiled. So um, I, I think that Vanderbilt will have quality starting pitching. Will it be as good as this year? No, but the, the bats there's no reason the lineup won't be as good or better than it was this year. Right. They should equal out. Uh, it seems like, like they usually do. And it boy, it's really going to be interesting to see. This could be one of the more intriguing off to see who comes back, who returns um, and goes to the draft. Mitch, you got one more here for you. I know at, at the end of the seasons, you know, we like to kind of place a blanket statement on, on, on Vanderbilt teams. You know, a couple of years ago, it was, this might be the best baseball team, college baseball team of all time. Uh, this season, a lot of it has been, uh, they had two really good pitchers and they carried them as far as they could, but the hitting wasn't enough. Um, what would be, your, would you agree with that? Or, or, you know, do you have a different twist on it? What would be kind of your blanket statement on this team? If you're kind of small talking with, with someone uh, as you recap this team. Yeah. Elite starting pitching, elite top two starting pitching, very good top end of the bullpen. 
but not much depth in the bullpen, more, mostly due to injuries. I mean, you lose guys like Doolin, who had is a potential starter next year. I don't know if Loboki will be back in time. I mean, Loboki was – look at his numbers from last year. They're obscene. I mean, yeah. his hits didn't pitch. Losing him hurt. So I, I think you, you – you know, that they're building. I think it was it was a good offensive team that struggled at the wrong time and one of the best one-two pitchers pitching combos we'll see in college baseball so uh, again you know were, were they fortunate probably fortunate to make the finals of the college world series nothing to do with the nc state thing just the fortunate the way they played in omaha i think if, mm-hmm. if you go to omaha 10 times and you struggle offensively to the degree vanderbilt did you're not going to make the finals that many times yeah. but they made the finals the one time they were there they they two walk-offs so um you know, the, the baseball gods kind of smiled on them in some occasions and didn't in other occasions. So, I mean, it, it's kind of the, the state of the program where we're sitting here trying to poke holes in a season in which they were one win away from winning a national title. Exactly. And that's saying something to make it all the way there. And, uh, you know, that that's the expectation now. So, you know, we'll see if, the, if they could get there again next year. And, uh, Mitch, it's always fun catching back up. And uh, it's now time to talk some football. I know you're ready. Yeah, bro. It's, I mean, it's, I'm not, this is like such a cliche, like, oh, it's almost football season, but like literally <laughs> it's we're like, like oh, 60 it's, days away. Yeah. It's like, it's July and, yeah. you know, going on vacation and then like school starts with the kids and then it's like, you got, it's so like, it literally almost is football season. Yeah. We've got <laughs> planning meetings for the athletic for our coverage already. So um, I, I usually try and avoid those cliches about X days to football, but I mean, it's, we're, we're getting there. So it, it's, it's coming soon. Uh, obviously yeah. fall camp will, Get, uh, get up and ready to go here in a, almost you know, closer to the month. So uh, we will catch right back up with you during that t- when that time comes. Mitch, thanks as always, and uh, have a good rest of your night. All right. Take care, guys. See ya. Well, that does it for Episode 93 of The Door Report. Big thanks to Mitch Light from The Athletic as he helped us recap and put a bow on the 2021 Vandy Boys season as we look ahead to the 2022 version of Vanderbilt baseball. For myself, Billy Derrick, my co-host, Will Byram, and Mitch Light, you've been listening to episode 93 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.